Tonight is Story Night. Woo! Uh, so yeah, Story Night, if you're new here, is three people are going to get up and they're going to share and they're going to tell a little bit of their story. Um, I think this is always one of the best things we do. It's one of the best nights. Um, and I hope that you'll be encouraged. So tonight, uh, we have Kathy Pence is going to share for a little bit. Uh, then we're going to have David Mays is going to share and then... Finishing it all off will be Gwen Kennicutt. So that is the plan. So Kathy's going to come up, and then when she's done, David, you can head right up. Up there. For all of you guys, um, I'll be helping out with the babies after this. So. Um, Love you, babies. <laughs> um, so, well, let's see. It's been a while since I've um, shared at SCUM. Uh, I'm Kathy Pence. I am the children's pastor here at SCUM. Um, and I have been what? What are you doing? Dave's fixing things. Wow. That's so much better. Everybody give Dave a round of applause. He notices the details. Um, Thanks. Um, Yep. Yeah. Um, So I have been gone for the last um, six months, pretty much. It doesn't feel like that. But coming back and seeing how everything has changed, everyone's life has kind of gone on, and I've been in this, like, little bubble for the past six months. Um, So, as you guys know, some of you know, maybe some of you don't, Aaron, my husband, um, his dad was diagnosed with cancer um, in August, and it was terminal So there was no question for us to go, to just go and spend his remaining days with him. So Aaron and I and our two children um, just put everything on pause here, if you will, kind of. Um, I guess that's what I'll be sharing about a little bit. Um, And we we went to Georgia and... um, moved into a house with Aaron's parents and sister and her husband and uh, their four children, plus me and Aaron and our two children. So it was a houseful. I can just talk really loud. Can you guys hear me? Um... If there's something you've learned in the past six months, it's to just... Okay. I thought maybe it was my shoes interfering with giving feedback or something. 
See, there's freedom here. There's freedom here to be a mess and to uh, not be perfect. And uh, we like that here. So there's space for that. Um, what was I saying? Let me start over from the beginning. No. My name is Kathy Pence. Um, <laughs> Atlanta. Yeah, went to Georgia. Um, so we've been there for the last six months. And um, we've been tending to and um, we've been quiet and we've been, you know, weeping. We've been really still. Um, a lot of our days were spent just being still. Um, I guess not knowing the words, you know, of how to comfort a dying man. Um, and he was also a really quiet man, too. So not really knowing what to say to him in general. Um, but it was in those quiet moments that I feel like God was probably uh, the loudest for us. Um, it was in those quiet moments that I think each of us were reminded of our worth in Christ, um, our worth just as human beings. It was in those quiet moments that we were reminded of Jesus's incredible love for us, um, which is really hard to acknowledge when someone you love so much is dying. Um, so we're singing that song, God is my shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of death and dying. Um, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 that talks about, oh, death, where is your sting? And that's what this, we all walk through it, right? We all walk through it. But how do we get through it? How do, you, how do you persevere? How do you endure it? And it is our faith and it is Jesus. Jesus did it. He died and rose again. He conquered death. And that's why we don't have to fear it, that it's only a transition from glory to glory, you know? And so you hear these words. You, you probably have heard them before, um, but how do you wrap your brain around it, you know, when you're walking through it? How do you really, like, just say, okay, death is a good thing. It's incredibly challenging. So some days we were angry. Some days we were confused. Um, we asked the question, um, several times why would this happen to you why you of all people he was the healthiest man the healthiest it was like a, a triumph for him actually he was a bodybuilder took i mean i don't even know if i've ever seen him eat real food he just ate shakes all the time like which is like i don't know i don't know i don't know maybe that's what gave him cancer but I don't know. 
eat some red meat once in a while or something, you know. But um, I can laugh about it because we laughed a lot, too, um, even, in, even in the midst of our sorrow. Um, but we asked, why you, of all people? And at first there was no answer. You know, we just kind of grumbled and groaned. Um, and then towards the end, he said, well, why not me? Um, there's so many people who go through hard things all the time. Like, why, why couldn't it be me? Why wouldn't it be me? Um, one of the things he said was um, he wanted to be as clear-headed as he could for as long as he could. So he would endure as much pain as possible just so he could be clear-headed. Because if any of you know or have um, walked through this before with someone, uh, the only pain management is narcotics, which really, like, shut your body down, shut your mental state down. They put you in, most of the time, a comatose state. Um, and he didn't want to be in that state. He wanted to engage, and he wanted to um, do as much as he could for his family and for the kingdom. Um, for as long as he could. So um, he was willing to endure pain, uh, which I'm really grateful that he did that because it was in that process that um, he was able to speak so much into us, and, and we, were sp- we were able to speak into him um, because even though we revered him greatly, he, um, he had a lot of fears and anxieties, um, a lot of insecurities. Um, being a quiet man, he didn't um, feel worthy to speak up when he wanted to speak up. Um, and a lot of times he felt like he missed the opportunity too um, because of his insecurities holding him back. Um, Aaron's family, they're all musically inclined, all of them. Um, I think like... The first time I met them, they were all like singing like four-part harmonies and just just on the reg, you know, like doing the dishes. And I'm like, okay, that's what kind of family I'm in now. And so, you know, me and my brother-in-law, we're like, ah, you know, that's our contribution, and they they love it. But um, we're a little bit more bold about it. We don't care if we sound off-key or not. Um, but my father-in-law was always insecure, especially when he married into this family who was all musically inclined. Um, he used to sing. Um, this is what we found out recently. He used to sing all the time. When he was younger, we met some of his teachers from when he was a kid, and, and they said so many wonderful things about him, that he used to be in choir, and he used to act, and, and all these amazing things. And we haven't really seen that side of him until um, walking through this journey. It was like God reminded him of his worth. And, you know, at this point, what, what had he to lose, you know? Um, and so we're all sitting on the back porch, and we're celebrating my niece's um, graduation because she's going to be uh, graduating nursing school this semester. And so we thought we'd have it early for her. And, um, and it was really special. And so we're all singing and playing songs. And um, all of a sudden, he just starts belting out at the top of his lungs, Abba, 
I belong to you. Belting it out in such freedom. And that moment, I wouldn't trade for anything. You know what I mean? To see someone, like, really live in freedom, total freedom. Gosh, like what a, what a gift. What a gift. Um, so we walked through this journey, and we got to see not only Brian, um, but each of us be undone. And, um, and God remind each of us of our worth and our value and that we, we are his and he is ours, that we have this great inheritance and that we can walk in freedom. Um, I would say that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from this whole season is, um, that I am freed and I don't have to let my insecurities or my fears or my doubts I don't, I don't have to let my past, gosh, God is so redeeming. I don't have to let my past, like, determine how I behave with people, how I, how I treat people, how I, how I worship our God. And so how do you turn everything into an act of worship when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? You praise Jesus. You praise Jesus. It's that eternal perspective of, of, well, I don't know. Aaron says this all the time. He says, I can't go back. You know, there's, there's nowhere to go back to. So it's sometimes it's my faith that carries me through. It's just my faith. You know, I don't really know what the future holds, but I know it's back there and I don't want to go back there. And so it's our faith that carries us through. It's thanking him when things don't seem like the right time to thank God. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's even in our groanings, even in our tears, and even in our silence. Um, that he is there and he carries us through. Um, I guess what I wanted to share with you guys the most, um, if there was anything that I could impart on you or, or um, encourage you, empower you, lift you up, that we are conquerors. We have this total freedom. We have resurrection life in us. And we can live out of that no matter our circumstances. Even if things look really bleak. And I guarantee you they will at some point in time in your life. They will. Because we're not promised easiness. We're not even... We're not promised that we won't endure pain. In fact, we're promised that we will. And that we will share in Christ's likeness in that. And that actually it's a privilege to do so. And so 
For Brian, in the beginning of this, he was, he was fearful and he was insecure and he would, always be, he would always be calling out for Judy, his wife. He'd be like, oh, Jude, oh, Jude, oh, Jude, Jude. And at the end, he said, thank you, Jesus. Those were his last words. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm going to carry that with me for the rest of my life. And I'm going to share that with all of you as much as possible, so much that you'll probably be annoyed with me, like, okay, I get it. I'm a conqueror. <laughs> get it. We can walk in freedom. Okay, just don't talk to Kathy. She's going to say the same thing. Um, I love you guys. I know I've missed out on so much these last six months with you guys. Um, but I have felt even more connected with you than ever before. Um, I have felt even more apart, even though I've been away. Um, so I thank you for your grace, and I, I thank you um, for all your love and um, your support. And, um, yeah, that I get to be here with you guys. And that I'm sure even as we left, there was some feelings of abandonment and loneliness. And, like, because at SCUM, we experienced that a lot. And... Uh, people leave a lot, um, and that sucks sometimes, you know. Um, so, I love you guys. I love you, my new best friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, just um, keep turning to Jesus. That's all I got to say. I'm going to go watch some babies now. Thanks. Man, Kathy's a hard act to follow. I got to see her do stand-up this Friday, and it was fantastic. If you ever get a chance, make her do it. But um, for those of you for the okay, cool. That's good. takes me to get takes some getting used to. For those of you who don't know me, my name is David Mays, and I'm going to be reading some stuff I wrote in this journal. So I was born just a few blocks away at Denver Health to a poor 16-year-old girl from the north side. She couldn't afford daycare, but still had to work to provide for us. So I spent most of my days with my grandmother. She taught me to read, she taught me to speak, and she taught me about God. I had a pretty good relationship with God when I was a child. I believed in Him, I knew Jesus loved me, and I would spend hours talking to Him. At the same time, my parents were very on and off. They weren't in a relationship during the time of my conception, and my father wasn't aware of me until about five months after my birth. They were young, dumb, and often abusive. They gave me a little sister, hoping that it would help them fix things. It was the end of them. Living through that led to some interesting questions regarding what God was really like. Two more siblings and two stepdads later, I was nine years old and living in Lafayette. We were doing a lot better for ourselves, and we're going to church fairly fairly regularly. That was until my mother's husband at the time went to prison for having sex with a minor. My mother was crushed. She went from being a stay-at-home mom to having to worry about four children, a mortgage, two car payments, and a crap ton of lawyer fees. She turned to an employment opportunity that would be frowned upon by most folk, 
And as the stresses kept piling on, she couldn't take it. She cracked. She uh, turned to a life of drugs to cope with it all. My sister has moved in with their grandparents, and I moved in with mine. It was becoming harder and harder to believe in anything, especially a caring, fatherly God with my best interest in mind. Middle school was starting, and I was feeling abandoned by both my parents and probably God, too. I'd almost completely stopped going to church, aside from the occasional visit that Grandma would drag me to. Soon made friends with other children of of other children of trauma and rough upbringings. They seemed unburdened without the constrictive belief system that my family had instilled in me. I was jealous of them at times. I wanted to be free of my conscience. Around the end of eighth grade, my father had reached out to my mother in an effort to see my sister and I. I was still living with my grandparents and wanted nothing to do with either of my actual parents. Apparently my dad had gotten saved, and my mother was struggling to get herself rehabilitated. He convinced her to try the women's home program at his church. He even offered to look after my sister and I while she got cleaned. I had all but verbally abandoned my belief in the Lord and started looking into Eastern philosophies. So the idea of moving in with my recently born-again dad was pretty loathsome. My mom eventually tried his church's program and quit about a week later. Little did she know when she filled out the paperwork to join the program, she ended up signing over full custody of my sister and I to our dad. Being forced to move in with an abusive stranger was the final nail in the camel's back regarding my disbelief in God. I went from believing in God and going to church once a month to not believing in him and being stuck at church six days a week against my will. My father's church was pretty corrupt, to the point that even my 14-year-old eyes noticed. My dad, would, my dad would have killed me if he found out I didn't believe, so I got pretty great at acting. Every altar call, prayer session, and praise set, I'd be up there with fake tears in my eyes just to get him off my back. We were the perfect family at church, but our home life couldn't get any worse. Our dad was angry, unreasonably angry, distant, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, you name it. Home wasn't a safe place, and there was no safe place. All of this led to me all of this led me to resent the church and my dad's religion as a whole. If this is what Christianity looks like, well then I'm glad that I abandoned it. The charade kept up for years in with my Sorry. The charade kept up for years as my relationship between my dad and I began to get worse and worse. Eventually, I had one beating too many and decided I was going to run away. And that's what I did the summer of my junior year. My mom had finally gotten clean and back on her feet, so after spending some time living on my own and couch surfing between his friend's house, I ended up living back into her house. My anger at everyone and everything had festered for years and was continuing to get worse, so I turned to drugs. It was the easiest way to numb years of buried issues stored inside of me. After graduation, I decided I was agnostic. I wanted to believe in something, just not what I was told to believe. I'd get upset when people mocked God, or Jesus even, but still didn't want to believe that for myself. 
moved out of my mother's house and into what now what I now refer as the hell house. It was full of Wiccan roommates and Satanists and that, that, that were once childhood friends. Um, the house also had what is known as a thin place in the basement, which is pretty much like a portal to hell that demons use. I was looking for something to believe in, something that wasn't God. So I started studying chakras, Reiki, aura readings, pyromancy, all other types of spiritual belief systems. I decided that if God wasn't real, then I was going to live like he wasn't. started doing more drugs and higher quantities of them. Some of it to numb the pain from my past, and some of it to try to feel anything new. After messing around with spiritual stuff for so long, I started seeing and getting visited by demons. I'd see them on my friends, in my dreams, almost everywhere. One day, in a drug-fueled panic attack, I became convinced that my roommates were plotting on killing me. I fled wearing nothing but sweatpants and a headband. Even after being face-to-face with numerous demons, I still didn't want to believe. I ran into my mother and came clean about everything. She convinced me to move back in that day. I had done so many drugs that I had become permatripped. And I was still seeing, still seeing demons everywhere and was unable to sleep without getting tormented in my dreams. I was looking for a solution everywhere but God. That was until my mom invited a pastor to, co- to come pray for me. I was skeptical at first, but after a lengthy prayer session, I felt peace and I felt sober. Like... I could see Jesus' eyes in the eyes of the pastor. I felt loved. I'm not sure how, but I knew that Jesus was real and the Savior that I needed. I couldn't believe that after all the times I had abandoned him, he was so quick to accept me back, with arms wide open and full of love. Um, I was trying to do the Christian thing on my own, the John Wayne Christian, which doesn't exist. You have to have a church, community at least. And I ended up living in Pueblo with uh, some cousins of mine for a while. All they wanted to do was party and fight, so that didn't last very long. I'd cut off everybody that I had, every friendship that I had up until that point, because same thing, they just wanted to party and fight. (laughs) But when I got back, I found out one of my friends was trying to reach out to me, my buddy Irvin. And, um, I don't know, something told me to just call him, give him a call, see how he was doing. And when I did that, I found out that he had recently got saved for kind of the same reasons that I did. So we talked about God for a while, and then I was like, oh yeah, what church do you go to now? He said, scum of the earth church, and I was just like, he's in a cult, we gotta save him. (laughs) But I think he heard my, my, um, concern and was like, no. No, it's not as bad as it sounds. Just come by. You could wear a leather jacket. And I was like, oh. I don't have to wear a tie. <laughs> okay, this might work. So I visited and just felt at home right away. I remember my first time walking up, I was like, a girl with dreads, a guy with green hair. Does that guy have a punk fest? What the hell? Are we in the right place? And it was Gilbert, actually, that was the first one to greet me. And right, right away, I just felt at home. God's blessed me with the relationship with so many of you through hard times, through good times, be it 4, 4 a.m. phone calls with Steve because I'm freaking out over one thing or another, or even just getting to do stuff like mics for 
Mike's retirement party last night. Like, loved every minute of it. I know God has more in store, and I can't wait to see what it is. And I just want to thank you guys for being such a strong community that I've, I've never seen anything like it before. So, thanks. Um, well, my name is Gwen Kennecutt, and we're just going to leave that as it is. Um, I've been coming to SCUM for a couple of years now, um, and my story is very different from David's. Um, I came from a very Christian background, about as Christian as you can get. Um, my parents were missionaries. Um, we lived in Singapore when I was little. Um, so I grew up really surrounded by faith and people that really loved Jesus, like enough to, um, you know, drop everything and move across the world to be able to share the gospel and all of that good stuff. Um, so I became a Christian when I was four years old. Um, and so my understanding of faith was fairly simplistic, but I knew enough to know, like, I'm a bad person, Jesus loves me even though I'm a bad person, this will be a good thing. And so I prayed with my dad when I was four. Um, so it was simplistic, but it was legit, I would say. Um, and some of you know this, but in what I would call a past life, um, I used to dance professionally. Um, and dance and faith have always been pretty interconnected for me. Um, I started dancing when I was nine um, and really enjoyed it. And um, it was this little tiny Christian dance school that was not very technical or anything like that. But I loved it and started taking more classes and um, started taking more ballet classes and decided about when I was 12 that I wanted to make it a career. Um, which if you know anything about the dance world, starting and making that decision when you're 12 is like, oh, you have a ton of catching up to do. Um, and I was told by my instructors that, like, if you work really hard, you'll be able to do it. And so I decided to go for it um, in a very competitive field. And so that ended up looking like really devoting pretty much all of my life to dance. I was in the studio five to six days a week for hours on end every day. I didn't really have a life outside of that. Um, and I'm a really driven person anyways, where just it's easy for me to just throw my passion and my time and my energy into um, achieving a goal. And that was the goal, was being able to dance professionally um, and be able to make it in that world. Um, and my parents were really on board. I was really grateful to be able to be homeschooled and just do the homeschool and dancing thing. Um, I was a really, you know, exciting kid. Um, and I was a pretty good kid. Like, I, um, I was one of those kids that, like, would play by the rules and do all of the right things. Um, just because I knew that that would kind of get me what I wanted. And whether that was in dance or whether that was in life, that was just kind of how I 
did things. Um, so fast forward to lots of years of doing this and into high school. Um, I was dancing at the studio a lot. I was dancing with a Christian um, dance company that was here in Denver. And again, just really working hard on pursuing this dream. Um, and my dream was to dance for Jesus. Like, that was what I was aiming for. Um, and I didn't realize it, but I think that I had this, I felt that I had this unspoken agreement with God where I would work hard and pursuing this, pursue this dream of dancing for Jesus and that God would make everything go well in my life because my dream was, was good. And therefore, you know, God should be on board, right? We all have these little thoughts. Um, so then in high school, there was a point where I ended up just having a lot of pain in my ankle, and it got bad enough that I ended up going in to get it checked out, and they said, oh, you have stress fractures. And I was like, oh, that's fine, right? Like, I can just, you know, keep doing my thing. And they're like, oh, no, you have enough stress fractures that you need to be on crutches and not dance for several months. And um, for me, in the middle of my pursuit of this dream, it was devastating because it meant that I would have to miss out on classes, rehearsals, a lot of performances even. Um, and it was at the time, like in this pressure of trying to make it in a competitive career, um, it was kind of the worst thing that could have happened to me was what I felt like at the time as a high schooler. Um, and so there was just a lot of anger and there was a lot of blame, um, and I really blamed God for making this happen to me. Um, and it just felt like God was really spiteful because we had had this agreement, right? Like, I work hard and pursue this dream so that I can dance for you, and therefore nothing goes wrong. Um, and so I, all of this started kind of bubbling up inside of me. And because I was a good kid and a rule follower, I never like stopped going to church, but I was definitely pulling back um, from the Lord. Um, and if I had been moving in a direction toward Jesus at that point, at best I was standing still, and at worst I was definitely pulling back from him uh, because this agreement was broken. Um, and it reminds me a lot of um, the story of Oh, I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. Um, and basically what ended up happening was I, over those months, was really pulling back um, from the Lord. But luckily when we do that, we know that Jesus is gracious and is the one that takes that step toward us. Um, and for me, what that moment looked like was um, sitting in my car one night after just a really, really rough day. Um, and I was listening to Christian radio for once since... I wasn't doing that a whole lot back then. Um, and there was a song that came on the radio that um, was basically um, telling the story of someone um, that was, like, fighting against um, the Lord in a place of pain, um, of hearing God say, I will be with you um, even when you fall. I will hear you when you um, cry out and don't fight against these hands that are holding you. Um, and in that moment, I really just felt like the Lord was saying, like, Gwen, like, this is you in the middle of your struggle um, against me, in the middle, middle of your pulling back, um, in your disappointment. Um, like, I am moving toward you, and I am with you, and that I am for you in this place. Um, 
And I think that that's a really good picture of grace. Um, And it reminds me a lot of the story of the prodigal son um, in Luke 15. There's actually really two sons. And we hear a lot about the younger son who, you know, tells his dad, I wish you were dead. I'm going to take my money and go to Vegas. And, you know, he lives his life out there and loses his money and comes back. And, you know, his father accepts him back. And there's a big party and it's great. And we sometimes forget about the older son who is there and he stays and he works really, really hard. And so when the younger son comes back, he is not a happy camper when he sees how his father um, just reacts with joy. Because I think that this older son had a similar agreement um, with his father that I had with God, where it's this very transactional, like, I do the right things and therefore you should give me what I want, or this should go in the way that I want it to go. Um, And I think what kind of strikes me about that is that, um, I mean, neither son really wanted a relationship with their father, if you think about it. One decides to run away and does his own thing. Um, And the other son doesn't really want a relationship with his father either. He just wants to be able to work hard and get what he wants out of the relationship. Um, And so sometimes I think, like, when I think about grace, it's really easy to um, think of grace as something for the younger son, for someone that rebels and runs away. Um, But I know in my story, the places where I have really um, seen the Lord work, um, and just pour out his grace to me are the places that, um, wow. Um, I think the places where I, um, treat my relationship with God as a transaction. And the places where, um, I trade, like, a relationship with a beautiful, loving, and gracious God um, for a sense of self-righteousness. And I am really grateful um, that God is willing to um, allow things to come into our lives so that we can start to recognize um, the ways that we make those trades. Um, And it's one of those things that doesn't feel like grace at the time um, for an injury to slow you down. And it doesn't feel like grace at the time um, for unexpected things to come into our lives um, that are painful or hard. Um, But it's one of those things that for every moment of that in my story, I've seen God work. Um, And this is just one little story of mine from high school. Like, there's many, many other places um, that I could point to where I can say, that was painful, but God used it to shine light on the ways that he was drawing me to himself and the ways that he was pursuing me um, and saying, you know what? A relationship with you, a real relationship with you that is not transactional is actually worth this season of pain and worth um, this moment. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for the ways that God has allowed things in um, that slow me down. 
um, and redirect my eyes to Jesus um, and make me remember his grace. And I know for sure that that is not going to be the last time that that happens. Um, But I think that after we experience that enough times, we can start to be like, okay, Lord, I know that you are working in this, and I know that you are pursuing me, um, even in the middle of this place. Um, And I think that that is the beauty of walking with Jesus. So that's all I got.